0: Well, good morning. Uh, I ask you, forgive me for bringing this up. It's actually a tea for my throat. I went, spent the, the week at uh, camp last week, and I came back with the, uh, the camp crud. And so if you don't want me to preach angry, I'm going to have to drink tea. <clears throat> I can preach angry if you want. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 John First John, uh, it's on page uh, 1021 of your pew Bible. If you have one of those, uh, if you don't have one of those, I can't help you. But the first uh, epistle of John, and starting in chapter two, we're going to just briefly go out over what we've learned in the previous weeks uh, of this sermon series, just to sort of recap. So previously, what we learned was that John, who wrote the Gospel of John, is also the author of First, Second, and Third John. Uh, I went over some of the things with you that showed that, ooh, it's warm up on this stage today, uh, and so the, John, the author of the gospel, is also the author of the letters, I'm waiting for this slide to slide, okay, all right, we're good, uh, and so it's all, he's also the author of the letters. Uh, in addition to that, these letters are not written like any of the other letters in the, gospel, in, in, the uh, in the New Testament, but rather these letters are written uh, more like a sermon than a letter. And so where Paul really introduces his writing saying, I'm Paul, I'm a servant of God, this is me, this is what I do, here's why I'm writing to you, uh, we don't find that in the letters of John. In fact, we find them structured more and more like a sermon. Uh, in addition to that, it is likely written... Uh, to the church in Ephesus. And so the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Johns were more likely written to this particular church to combat some of the heresies that were popping up in this church, mainly Gnosticism, which is a uh, belief in... essentially that knowledge can save you apart from Jesus Christ, that they have a special amount of knowledge, and if you come into their cult, they'll give you this knowledge, and then that knowledge will save you, rather than the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so these letters were specifically written to these churches to combat the rise of Gnosticism. So that's what we learned a couple of weeks ago, but last week, when Cadet Shelby brought the message, uh, we learned that there is such a thing as absolute truth. And that it belongs to God's. So God's absolute truth was the entire point of last week's sermon. And I encourage you to go online and listen to that one if you missed it. I'm not going to recap it because I won't do as good a job as she did. So that was last week. And so this week we're going to launch straight into 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 1. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along. But this is what God's word says to us. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so the way that I like to preach is to go essentially verse by verse through uh, what we read. And so we'll deal with verse 1 before moving to verse 2. And a couple of things that I found really interesting is he says that I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And I find that very, very interesting. Uh, The reason that I find that interesting is that John's uh, the implication of John's statement is that we can avoid sin if we choose to. I'm writing to these things to you that you can be aware of what sin is, and so that when you identify sin, you can go around it, or in fact, you can boycott it. Let me throw that up. Ha-ha! I love the days when my actual control thing works up here. Most days it doesn't. Today, God loves me. Uh, He loves me all the time, you understand what I'm saying I'm a little tired as well from camp So you'll have to just go with my really bad jokes Then just deal with it Um, So the implication here is really, really interesting That John says is if you follow what God tells you to do You can avoid sin You can see and identify sin and then go around it Uh, You can see sin and decide, nah, not today You can identify it and you can get to the point in your life when sin comes along, you can see it, identify it, and actively resist it. Now, I find that really interesting. And I've got an example of, not particularly of sin, but uh, I want to preface this, that we have this covenant together that when I tell stories of my wife, you don't go blabbing. Right? (laughs) Do you remember this covenant? Some of you are bad at keeping it. But I want to tell this story because it it sort of goes along with it. I love my wife. She is allergic to gluten, dairy, and soy. Everything that is good in life, she is allergic to. There are some days when she gets cravings for the food because we only found out about her allergies a couple of years ago, so she remembers how good mac and cheese tastes, right? Like, she's still got those memories. And so uh, a couple of weeks ago, She started getting a craving for Panda Express. Now, with all the world of opportunities around you to eat good food, I don't know why she got a craving for for Panda Express, but she did. And I'm not joking. She came to me on, I want to say it was a Tuesday, and said, I want Panda Express. And I laughed at her and said, no, because I know she's allergic to it. She says, yeah, but I just got to get it out of my system. No, you're allergic to it. Wednesday, she comes back to me and says, I've thought about it, and tonight, I'm getting Panda Express. And I said, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm the one that has to deal with it when you eat it, so no. And she goes, oh, fine. Well, Thursday, can you guess what she did? I'm really getting it this time. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. I hid the car keys. She couldn't find them. <laughs> Friday, she comes in and says, look, I've weighed the risks versus... The pros and the cons, I've made a list. I've got to get it out of my system. Today, I am eating Panda Express. And I said, I'm done arguing with you. You're an adult. Just don't come crying to me when it all goes horribly wrong. I was not as loving a husband in that moment as I should have been. That's my confession to you. You'll forgive me as she did. She went and she bought Panda Express. She got three bites into it and her allergies started coming up. She started getting itchy on the outside. She started getting other things that we won't go into detail here because those are a little too embarrassing to talk about. She felt it. And she came home. She didn't even finish the Panda Express. She came home after three bites. She just said, all right, I'm done. And she pushed it, pushed it to the side. Sometimes sin is like Panda Express. <laughs> Sometimes Panda Express is like sin. She knows exactly what was wrong and why she shouldn't do it. And on days you can actively avoid sin, there are some days when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is sinful behavior, I shouldn't engage in this, I shouldn't uh, be in this group of friends, I shouldn't talk to these people, I know that these. this is where I'm going to go if I continue this behavior. There are some days when that is clear and obvious and those are the days that I bless God for, but there are other days when it's not quite so clear what the right way forward is. And what's brilliant about this verse in 1 John, is that John acknowledges this and says, yeah, I write these these things to you that you may not sin, but when you do sin, there are things in place to catch them. So if we move on here, uh, we'll read this. So this is chapter 2, still in verse 1. But if any does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so we have an advocate. And just because I like Definitions of things. I put in on the next slide the definition of advocate. It's a person who publicly supports or recommends a particular cause or policy. In regards to a, a person, an advocate is someone who goes and stands on behalf of another person. And so here's what John is saying is, uh, I want you to know everything that there is about the Scriptures. I want you to know about Jesus so that you can identify these sinful things in your life. But on the occasion where the sinful thing might not be quite so obvious, I want you to know that even when you fail, you have an advocate in Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus Christ himself will publicly go before the Father and the throne room of heaven and say, no, they sinned, but I died for that, for you. And so John here, uh, even though he says, yeah, sinning happens. We try and do everything we can to avoid sin. We try and put things and boundaries in our lives to avoid it. But sometimes, despite our best efforts, we don't listen to God. We don't listen to the Scriptures. We don't listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we still sin. But in that case, you are not far away from the grace of God. His grace still covers you. And I've got more on that in a little bit later on in another section. But I want to hammer this home. Uh, even though I got 1 a.m., amen, I'm still going to hammer it home. There is nowhere that you can fall that is out of the range of the grace of God. We, we seem to have this idea in Christianity. I don't know where it comes from. I think it is toxic and perversive that uh, we, we have this mentality where we say, uh, yeah, God can forgive everyone else but not me because you don't know what I've done. Like, I've fallen so far away from the grace of God, there's no way I can qualify for it anymore. Uh, The sin in my life is so bad, there's no way that I can qualify for God's grace anymore. And we, we, we talk ourselves out of being forgiven for the things that, listen, God has already forgiven us for. God's forgiveness is perfect in and of itself when it was completed on the cross. All we need to do is believe in the name of Jesus Christ and we will be saved. That's what scripture says. It's no more, no less. There's no fancy prayer that you need to use King James English to pray to God and there's no no you don't have to come to the mercy seat or the holiness table to pray to God to be saved. All you need to do according to scripture is believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. That's how simple it is. But as Christians and humans, we overcomplicate it. And I want you to know it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that the grace of God cannot forgive. Amen? Amen? Moving on. Verse 2. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. This verse has one of my favorite words in the entire Bible. It is the word propitiation. I know I've talked about this before, but for those that are new, we'll go over it just a little bit. The word propitiation you won't find in most translations of the Bible, uh, because not a lot of people know what it is, and so instead it's usually translated uh, as atonement. But here in the ESV, which is one of the reasons why I use ESV to preach from and also as Pew Bibles, is it keeps the original word in, and I like that because I'm a word guy. I love words and I love what they mean. The word propitiation, uh, and I've got the definition here, is the pleasing or satisfying of a wrathful deity, usually, usually through the shedding of blood or some other sacrifice. And so what John here is saying is that Christ is the propitiation or the appeasing of a wrathful deity through the shedding of blood for you and for me. Here's where it breaks down in almost every world religion to this point, the way that you got God to forgive you, the way that you got your sins forgiven, the way that you got God on your side was to offer a sacrifice. Most of the world religions up to this point would do goats and chicken. Some were really bad places and they actually sacrificed children to their gods for their forgiveness of sin. Some of them were really, really bad. Uh, But up until this point, the way that you got... Forgiven and that you got the blessing of God was to shed blood for it. And in fact, I've got here a verse from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, which says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this is from our scriptures. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's our Bible. And so what our Bible says is that the way that God. Uh, that his wrath is appeased, that God's wrath should be poured out on you and me. And you can find this in Romans. You can find this in 1 Thessalonians, that you and I as Christians are no longer appointed to the wrath of God because that wrath was poured out on Christ when he shed his blood for us on Calvary. And so what John here is saying is that Christ is already the propitiation for our sins. He's already shed his blood so that you and I are no longer appointed to the wrath of God of god no amen not not a single one all right let let me explain read the book of revelation and everything in the book of revelation where it says these things are going to happen to sinners that should be happening to you but instead because of christ's death on the cross that was poured out on him instead now can i get an amen this is brilliant this is, I'm a sinner. This is, according to the scriptures, I should be put to death for the sin in my life, but instead Christ took that death for me. This is, so here, here we read that he, Jesus Christ, is a propitiation for our sins, and here we get even better. Not only our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. All of it. So there are some branches of Christianity that say there is only a certain few that are saved through the shedding of Christ's blood. There's only a select few that God's gone around and what I affectionately like to play, uh, call duck, duck, damn. Uh, you know that game, duck, duck, goose? That God got everyone around and said, well, heaven, 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 hell. Heaven, 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 hell. Some versions of Christianity believe that, but what we read through scriptures is that Christ, died for the whole world that there is not a single person anywhere that does not qualify for the saving grace of Christ this links into the point that I said earlier, it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter your history, your background it doesn't matter your race, religion or creed if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ there is a forgiveness of whatever sin you've committed the whole world there is no one anywhere that does not qualify for the saving grace of Christ. Verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. <laughs> if we keep his commandments. Fair, just, I didn't write any notes in here because uh, we'll get there to in, in the next verse as well. You've got to keep Christ's commandments. And, and I think this is where there's a little bit of disconnect. Yes, everything I've said up until this point is absolutely correct. God will forgive you of your sin. But at the same time, God gives you a responsibility that you need to keep his commandments. Uh, a lot of times people take the rights without realizing that they come with responsibilities at the same time. You have the right to uh, freedom of speech you have the responsibility to make sure that your words are not harmful to other people. You have the right to practice your religion however you see fit, but you also have the responsibility to make sure that the way that you practice your religion is not being harmful to other people. And and so there's sort of this disconnect. And I had it growing up, and so I know it's been in the world for a really long time, so I don't want to blame this generation, but there's a lot in this generation that, that do this as well. When you get a right, you also have to understand it comes with a responsibility. And you also have to understand that the rights that you're guaranteed in this country are not rights that are recognized the world over. There are some places that will kill you for uttering the name Jesus Christ in public. You have the amazing ability in this country to be able to share your faith with whomever, wherever, however, because that is guaranteed under the Constitution of the United States of America. That is not guaranteed everywhere in the world. So use it while you got it, right? Use it while you got it. Anyway, moving on. Where am I? By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Uh, (laughs) The Bible says if you don't keep the commandments of Christ, you're a liar. Now, this is not one of those things, uh, (laughs) this is not one of those things that builds the church, right? This is not one of those things that is huge in, it's going to get butts in the seats. Because um, a lot of the times what we do is we try and make excuses for not following the commandments of Christ in Scripture. There's sometimes we, we, we try and make excuses for not doing the things that God expects us to do. Uh, let me explain. Uh, there's this really annoying bit in Scripture when Jesus said, uh, those that are thirsty, give them a cup of water in my name. Those that are hungry, give them something to eat in my name. If they're naked, give them clothing. If they're in prison, go visit them. Uh, those aren't suggestions. Like, I know that sometimes we look at it and we're like, oh yeah, that's a really nice verse. Let's sing it at youth councils and then we'll go home and do nothing. Like, I know that they, they're, those aren't suggestions. Christ ended that by saying, anyone who gave a cup of cold water in my name is mine and anyone who didn't, I don't know who they are. I'm going to deny them. I'm going to say they're not mine. They don't belong to me. They're not my followers. Christ expects that once you become a Christian, there is a standard of living that you are committing to, which is following his commandments in Scripture. And what John here is saying is anyone who says uh, otherwise, whoever, whoever says that they're a Christian, yet doesn't keep the commandments of Christ, well, they're liars. And what's really interesting is if you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, when you read through the Ten Commandments, one of them is, thou shalt not bear false witness. So when John is giving this particular sermon to whoever he's giving it to, he's invoking the Jewish memory of the book of Exodus and the covenants that God gave to his people. He's bringing up an association saying, if you don't keep the commands of God, you're breaking the commands of God. He's doing an emphasis point here that I think maybe gets lost in our particular generation. And so I really want to emphasize and push this point home that if you don't Follow the commands of God in Scripture, but you say that you're a Christian, you're a liar. Now, this point gets even more interesting if you read the book of Psalms, where it says that God hates liars. Now, Now, notice the phrasing of that. It doesn't say that God hates lying, which is an action. It says that God hates liars, which is the person committing the action. So I want you to follow this logic through to conclusion. If you say that you're a Christian and yet you don't do the commandments of Christ, that makes you a liar and the Bible says that God hates liars, which means God hates you. Now, again, that's not going to put butts in in the seats. But here's what you need to know. You need to follow the commands of Christ. Because if you're following the commands of Christ, it means you're not a liar, which means you're in great standing with God. Now, it doesn't mean that at the very first sin that you do, that's it, you're out, you no longer get into heaven. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, uh, I've got this in here, I skipped over it, but I'm putting it back in because I can. We went through our doctrine series in this place, and our ninth doctrine reads like this, that we believe that a continuance in a state of salvation depends upon continued obedient faith in Christ. If you are a salvationist, if you're in uniform or an adherent, that means you've signed something saying that you believe this, which means that if you are not continually obedient to Christ, you are in danger of losing your salvation. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you are continually, habitually going against the commands of Christ in the Bible, you are in danger of losing your salvation. Just in, in case you think I'm making this up, I'm not. It's what I read in Scripture. And the reason that I like to bring this up, the reason that I am harping on this for so long, is because if you are no longer in a state of salvation, it means you are destined for hell. In the Salvation Army, we believe in a very real hell, and if you understand the biblical reality of hell, you don't want anyone to go there, especially not people who we call family in this place. I think of you guys as family. You are part of my family, and I don't want any of you to go to hell because I understand what hell is, eternal separation from God. And that's horrifying And so if you don't keep the commandments of God and yet you say that you do, it means you're a liar and it means that God hates you and it means that God is going to damn you to hell for your choices, not his choices, your choices. Let's, Let's be clear on that as well. So I just want you to keep this in mind as we go through this, that if you do not keep the commandments of Christ, scripture calls you a liar and the truth is not in you. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, and now this is where the story gets good. Now, that was very bad. That was very downhill, and, and we brought the mood down. Let's get the mood back up because there is a but, and I love the buts in Scripture because it means but there's good news coming. This is the bad news. This is the warning news. This is the bit that you need to keep your eye on, but there's something good coming. So let's get to the something good. But whoever keeps his word In him truly, the love of God is perfected. The love of God is perfected. The love that God demonstrated through the death of Jesus Christ is perfected in you. The demonstrations of love to the people around you are perfected. By this we may know that we are in him and this is our assurance of salvation. This is, uh, people say, well, if you can lose your salvation, how do I know that I'm saved? Here it is. This is your assurance that if you follow the commands of Christ, God's love can be perfected in you, but also we are then in him, that you and I can stand firmly in the knowledge of our salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. And again, this is not talking about a single slip-up. This is not talking about, oh, I lied once and now I'm going to hell. This is about a continual, habitual thing. This is something that you do on a daily basis even though you know it's wrong. This is about something that you do even though you know it's wrong. You say, well, it's not really hurting anyone, so I'm just going to keep doing it. This is when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of sin and you say, no, Holy Spirit, not today. Just go over there. I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. So please understand that these are two separate things that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about slipping up and accidentally getting angry and losing your temple once. I'm talking about something that is habitual and continual. Are you with me on that? All right. Verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. For some reason, my final points have a a map behind them. That's just a technology error. Ignore the map and try and read the words. So what I want to do is end our time together with these four points that I think summarize these six verses that we've been talking about. One, I want you to talk like Jesus. Read through the Gospels and see the way that Jesus interacted with people. Except for the Pharisees, who were the religious people of his day, Jesus spoke kindly to everyone. Jesus made time to speak with people that society didn't give time to speak to. In Salvation Army, we're pretty good at our social outreach ministries, and that's a blessing. But I can tell you that there are sometimes even me, as the core officer, will see someone and be like, I don't have the time the energy or the inclination to deal with whatever they've got going on right in this moment and i'll use a different door to get to my office i have done that it's not a proud moment but if you can't be honest in church when can you be honest i want people to talk like jesus to see the way that jesus talked to people when jesus had compassion on people jesus never compromised his message but he always had compassion When the woman was caught in adultery and she was brought before him and the Pharisees expected him to say, well, she's been caught in adultery, stone-headed death. And Jesus instead said, uh, anyone who was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the people, one by one, dropped their stones and walked away until there was only the woman and Jesus left. And Jesus looked up and said, do none of these people condemn you? Then neither did I go and sin no more. He still emphasized the fact that she should not be sinning, but he had compassion and mercy on them. And here's what happens in Christianity. We get so convinced that we have the right message that we don't care about how we deliver it. Delivery matters. Communication matters. You can have access to the full, absolute truth of God, but if you Don't deliver it in the right way with compassion and understanding and grace and love. That message is not going to resonate in anyone's hearts. Talk like Jesus. Second point, walk like Jesus. Not like an Egyptian, like Jesus. Look at the way he lived his life. Now, Jesus was an itinerant itinerant minister. I don't expect you to, to... do that but he went from place to place and everywhere he went he taught and healed and prayed with people did you notice that about jesus there are some times when jesus uh, had to leave a situation and say no my father has called me elsewhere and i need to go there now there are some times that he did that but when you look at the life of jesus in the gospels most of the time when he went from place to place he prayed talked healed lived life with people which brings us to point three. Live like Jesus. Jesus was humble. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus loved the unlovable. He had dinner with prostitutes and tax collectors. Live like Jesus. Often in Christianity, what people will tell you is you need to surround yourself with like minded people, and so your group of friends can only be Christians. That's wrong. You do have to be mindful and guard yourself that those people are not being bad influences on you and moving you away from your relationship with Christ. But if you don't surround yourself with people who don't know Christ, how can you share the love of Christ? Jesus routinely had dinner with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. He cleansed lepers. He cured diseases. He made people who were deaf hear again, people who were blind see again. He talked with people who society said, just put them over here in the corner. We won't look at them. We won't talk to them. We won't touch them. Just leave them over here. The woman who had been bleeding for 20 years, according to Hebrew customs, mean that she was unclean, which means she wouldn't have been touched for 20 years. She wouldn't have hugged her children. She couldn't have kissed her husband goodnight. She would have been put into a uh, separate room of the house for over 20 years and just left there because she was unclean. That was the woman who crawled on her hands and knees and touched the hem of Jesus' cloak. And Jesus turned around and said, power has gone out of me. Who touched me? And then he said, rise, be clean. Live like Jesus. And for, again, I've said this again and again and again, and I'll keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it, love like Jesus, who loved the unlovable, who loved the sinners, who loved the entire world enough to go to a horrendous, torturous death on the cross. <clears throat> to love like Jesus means to love enough that you would lay down your life. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lays down his life for a friend. Are you willing to sacrifice your social circles, your work circles to love people enough, to love people enough to tell them about Christ. I want you to talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus, live like Jesus, but more, most than everything else. I want you to love like Jesus. Can we do that? Can we love like Jesus? Amen. We're going to pray real quick, and then Heidi is going to come up to sing our closing benediction. Let's pray.